0: Now we proceed to the next panel with Toby Royal who will announce all
1: the panellists.
0: Please, Toby.
1: Good morning. Invasive species, exhaust gas cleaning systems, decarbonization. These are terms that might once have been consigned to scripts of certain science fiction movies. They are now, however, part and parcel of the shipping industry's lexicon albeit, no doubt, perhaps with slightly different meanings to those attributed to them in those Hollywood films. Currently never far from the headlines, if not appearing in them, and for the focus of much heated debate, these terms and the environmental rules, regulations, and proposals to which they are associated require no further introduction from me, other than to note that we, across the worldwide offices of Watson, Finley, and Williams, are regularly dealing with questions in relation to ballast water treatment systems, the IMO 2020 sulfur cap, and green recycling, to name but a few. I'm delighted now to uh, invite to join me up on the stage um, some distinguished panel members who similarly require no introduction, but it would be rude not to do so. So joining us today, we have John Likuris of. Dorian LPG. John, would you like to come up? We have Eric Friedendahl, CEO of the Hunter Group. Eric, would you like to come and join us, please? We have Nicholas Bush, CEO of Navigate Group. Nicholas, would you like to come up, please? And last but not least, we have Magnus Halverson, Chairman of twenty twenty Bulkers Limited, Magnus.
2: Okay. Well, that's
1: you. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today. Turning to our first question, are scrubbers, particularly the open-loop variants, a stop-gap measure? There is a growing division between owners, with some being early adopters of open-loop scrubber technology as part of their compliance strategy, and others that question the viability of such scrubbers and whether their use is really of benefit to the environment. Recently adding to the debate have been the views of the director of the Waterborne Transportation Research Institute, which is part of China's Ministry of Transport, who last week expressed his own opinion that open-loop scrubbers may be banned in China. And whilst Chinese officials have denied that such a ban is on the horizon, speculation and polarisation on the future of such abatement technologies continues apace. So, John, first of all, if I could turn to you. Sure. Are scrubbers, particularly of the open-loop variety, a, a stopgap measure? Uh,
3: n- no, I don't think so, Toby. Uh, uh, open-loop scrubbers and also uh, hybrids or closed-loops have been in the industry, uh, at least on the uh, refineries and uh, power plants, for many, many, many years, decades. Uh, I think the application to the marine uh, is a new uh, um, uh, development. Uh, we know that uh, uh, we are burning and consuming uh, fuels that produce a lot of uh, emissions that are and pollutants, which need to be reduced. We are, I think, going towards a carbon-free society uh, by 2050, maybe or. Uh, maybe earlier I don't know Uh, and I think scrubbers are gonna be a a desired um, piece of equipment as it is already uh, part of the new um, tier 3 ships being built uh, there are scrubbers that uh, take care of the nitrous oxides Uh, so I don't understand why we we don't need to have uh, sulfur oxide um, scrubbers and uh, we should be uh, really more concerned about having properly operating scrubbers, scrubbers that work correctly, that are being, uh, 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 we're being assured that they work correctly. And, uh, and, and I think verification and, um, and the result of the uh, effluent water is going to be a very important part of uh, the industry, checking itself to make sure that uh, it complies with the requirements of uh, every state Uh, I believe more states are going to become more demanding in their uh, effluent that is uh, being put out by the ships, and of of course rightfully so, uh, as they are concerned with the emissions uh, from the uh, the funnels. Uh, So I I, I think uh, that uh, scrubbers are going to be a a, a good uh, way forward uh, for the maritime industry.
1: Nicholas, what's your view on this
4: I generally uh,
1: generally agree
4: sometimes trying to think which is the best way to to explain and describe it and I just remember when we first introduced mobile phones to to humans and they were they're just these horrible bricks um, which remarkably look similar to scrubbers, you know just big square things that when you look at them they just don't look very very nice um and I was very young, uh, but I remember the the number of things going about that would give you brain cancer. You know, how could you be so ridiculous walking around with a brick? Um, and then, kind of gradually, that became part of life. And then, in, in in the working environment, it was, you know, only the senior people could have them, because it's only for them that it works, and the rest of the people can't use them. And eventually, you know, these things evolve, and everyone's got a mobile phone. You know, teenage kids have them. So I think in the same way that. You know the economics for a scrubber um, are probably as compelling now as they'll ever be uh, It's just that the it's a new product for the marine industry it's in its current format you can pick holes at them in, in a number of places you know will they get better for sure? will they deal with um, the washwater better as well? Uh, can that happen quite quickly? I guess so um, but I think the the evolution of the scrubbers will uh, will be much faster than the evolution of the regulatory environment around them. So, we'll be able to regulate uh, the scrubbers much slower than we're actually going to be able to improve the technology. Um, the, the second point to make, just to stop making it a, a sort of philosophical debate and a practical debate, is that we introduced SECA um, years ago uh, in Europe. In particular, and there's been a number of ship owners who are subject to just SECA waters. Um, a lot of them are small ships that were already burning gas oil, so, but there's a number of, uh, significant number of ships that have been burning fuel oil. And they have um, explored all sorts of things. Scrubber certainly been one of them. And I, I sometimes get confused with the, um, the amount of um, speculation we have on a subject when we've already had a test case. Um, and it only takes a little bit of time to investigate the test case. Um, we saw the same with uh, the uh, when we got the eco ships and, and owners in different fields were discussing about uh, vessels, uh, eco vessels actually not consuming less than, than others, but we had a significant proportion of the new uh, container liners sailing with um, eco engines and consuming less. The data was available; you could uh, connect into different ship owners logs and, and you see the data was better so we have data available we can see that scrubbers make an economic case I think most people they probably make an economic case I mean in our estimation they make an economic case in very small ships as well I mean we buy assets we usually pay them back in about 10 years uh, if we're lucky you buy a scrubber and then the debate is where you paid in six months one year two years these are investments that far exceed the investment in the asset itself so our, I think they probably will stay. I think they probably will evolve. Um, and I've said this probably a year ago. I challenge any owner in the world who, within you know, 2022, hasn't got at least part of the fleet with scrubbers.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. One of the, um, the concerns that have been raised for uh, scrubbers has simply been in respect of the, the timely installation of, of getting scrubbers fitted on board vessels. Um, some people have cited that yard capacity is one of the, the main considerations and, and barriers to, to having scrubbers installed on vessels. Um, but is, is that really the case? And are there any other barriers that, uh, that, that, that have as an important role, or if not more so, than, than, than merely uh, yard capacity? And Eric, is this um, something that you would uh, like to uh, respond to? Sure.
0: Um, first of all, it depends, like most other things. Um, we, so far, everyone's heard of all these ship owners who've installed scrubbers, and there are so many out there, but when you ask them, okay, which vessel actually has it installed, and how many are there, people don't really have an answer to that. At the end of the day, it's, uh, well, they have ordered some, and they claim to be able to install it in a month or less at a repair yard in China um and that the um, engineering is easy Uh, i don't know we'll see Uh, we figured uh, for us it was uh, or at least for me it's easier to to see that um buying a scrubber having it installed in a brand new vessel during construction makes more sense it should be easier i can't see we're paying 2.7 million dollars for our scrubbers to be installed at the yard while they're building the vessel, whereas others claim to be able to install a vessel at significantly lower prices in a shorter time period. I don't know. We we will see. I I wish them the best of luck on that.
1: (laughs) Some of the the barriers that have been raised include um, issues of of financing um, and, indeed, the ability of suppliers of the... um, scrubber units to produce them uh, in sufficient quantities to, to, to enable them to be fitted as well. Um, and I believe there have also been concerns over um, suitably um, qualified fitting crews with uh, laser training and so on and so forth to ensure that the units themselves are, are fitted properly and, and, and operating efficiently. Uh, Magnus, what's um, your experience of, uh, of, of this side of things?
2: Um, Well well, I I think there's an element of both being bottlenecks, but if you you take the equipment first, um, I think the go-to position for most people deciding to go for a scrubber is you want to go for one of the established manufacturers. Uh, Speaking out of experience, when we ordered our scrubbers, uh, which are being manufactured by Alfa Laval, and this was back in February, March, I think there was a 12-month lead time, Um, I understand now, and we've talked to others and looked at some projects where that lead time has stretched now is probably more like 18 months. Um, I think in the longer run, I mean, the world is going to be able to manufacture enough scrubbers. It's it's not that technically complicated. Um, I met with uh, an Indian company a few weeks ago who at least claim they had 100 installed scrubbers today and they could ramp up to 500 in annual capacity. So I, I think that bottleneck will be resolved eventually, but I think if you want to be there on January 1st, 2020, when you can probably reap the biggest benefit of having a scrubber, uh, I think you're running out of time. Um, and I, I think, as Eric said, you know, at least when you're, you're fitting a scrubber on a new building as we are, you have a contract with the yard, you have a fixed price, and I think you have some visibility into how, how the process runs. I'm, I've am i seen others who uh, who say they are able to install scrubbers using a rider crew without going into dry dock. It might be possible, but I, I guess um, t- time will tell. Um, when it comes to the financing, I think, it goes without saying if you look at what this industry has been through for the past seven eight years any capital capex item you know is uh, Is is a challenge and a hurdle um, That being said, I think um, We are starting to see that the banks are supporting scrubber investments. I think we saw DHT yesterday Announcing that they've amended an existing facility and will have 90 percent of their scrubber capex um, covered by the banks and i think it makes sense i mean if you're a bank you're you're in a way improving the competitiveness of your collateral so i think you should be solution oriented um, and and support the owners who want to uh, go for scrubbers Um, on the other hand i think we all know that you know the, the commercial banks are not generally lending as much as they did to shipping these days and we have regulatory changes which has impacted that. So there are no clear-cut answers, but I think generally both financing and production capacity um, will be the bottleneck, as the economics are simply too good
1: for for scrubber investment for, for the stakeholders not to support it. Thank you. Um, so time is, is increasingly very much of, uh, of, of the essence in, in this area. And As we have already heard earlier today in the, uh, in the previous uh, panel, the IMO's Marine Environment Protection Committee is due to meet shortly for its 73rd session, which will be taking place as BIMCO, Panama, Liberia, the Marshall Islands and others call for an experience building phase to address safety <coughs> and logistical concerns over compliant fuels. So I think one of the um, one, of, one of the questions that would be interesting to, to hear an answer to would be, um, you know, what would our panelists like to say to the IMO um, about the implementation of the sulphur cap? Uh, Nicholas, would you like to take this one?
4: Yep. Um, so I would I would focus on probably on three things. Um, the first one is, um, and I'm part of that community, but the owners plea for poverty. Um in in my view, uh the the reason why shipping goes through hardship is a you know, question of supply and demand. Sometimes demand is fickle and it reduces quite often. Supply grows and estimates demand wrongly and grows more than it has to. And I find the 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 scrubber rhetoric quite bullish in general for the market and the reason for that is the, the you know, the financial community, which is prevalent nowadays in shipping, much more so than it was 20, 30 years ago, um, in, the, in the previous cycle where we thought we were getting out of, um, uh, out of trouble in 2011, 12, 13, one of the reasons why we probably accelerated a downturn was the fact that the financial community saw a technological advantage, a technological dividend on eco-ships. And certainly there is no doubt in my mind that that accelerated the amount of orders um, in most sectors trying to chase anywhere between, you know, $5,000, 7000 per day benefits. Um, in this case, we have a very similar technological um, dividend. Uh, it is the ability to install a type of equipment that allows you to, to burn cheaper fuel. Whether that is, uh, happens or not is certainly something the financial community is interested in. Uh, the good thing about that is, at least if you do it today, if you order a new ship, you're beyond the phase where it actually helps us much, which is throughout 2020. But if you retrofit ships, uh, you can catch, and that probably means that the the emphasis from ship owners and the financial communities is going to be focused on second-hand ships rather than new builds. So. You know, in, in a roundabout way, it probably will affect most markets and it probably will make owners richer because ultimately it's supply and demand that, that gives the rates, not the, the cost of fuel. Um, the second one is the aspect of regulation, which is again, it's just not simply in shipping, it's in any type of regulation. Um, most industries hate regulation and usually regulation has to be introduced because the industry itself cannot Uh, govern on certain subjects and particularly because they are uneconomical for the industry. Otherwise, they would have already done that. So nearly always a change in regulation means there's a cost to pay for uh, usually the industry, ultimately the consumer. And any area of ambiguity will be used in order to avoid paying that tax, paying that cost. Um, So the, the, the efforts that the IMO can do on clarity will be paramount to the success of what they're trying to achieve. And the third one is uh, been discussed today. I'm not going to belate on it. Is the enforceability, and they sort of come hand in hand. If there is ambiguity on the enforceability, then you're going to have a less impactful uh, transition. We have got test cases already, and uh, clearly the SEC areas are test cases. We we I I personally don't believe we're going to gain so much by leaving a period of ambiguity of. Um, Uh, of test cases, because I think we've had two and a half, three years to actually prepare for it, and I've seen very little preparation from the industry. I don't think we'll gain a huge amount of knowledge, probably what's going to happen is for six months, we're going to have an uneven playing field for ship owners. It's not the end of the world. It's only six months, but it's not a great precedent. And in any area where there has been ambiguity, ballast water treatment system being one of them, it has been unfortunate, Um, that type of ambiguity then spills over on the next regulation. And we've seen it on, on the sulfur cap, that the ambiguities and ballast water treatment system have had a huge Im- impact on the owner's perception of the ambiguities created uh, in, in the sulfur cap. So they, they must think, if I was the AMO, I wouldn't just think about uh, the effects that lack of clarity and lack of enforceability will have just on, on the sulfur regulations, but they should think about what that does to any future regulation they do. Thank you.
1: Uh, John, Dorian have um, obviously explored both the uh, scrubber route, and right. as well as looking at alternative um, uh, fuels such right. as uh, LPG. Um, and, and no doubt um, the, the, the discussions and the debates that have been taking place within the auspices of the IMO have been of, of, of extreme uh, interest and importance to um, to yourselves as well as the the other owners. Um, is there anything that, if you had the opportunity? Um, that you could raise and, and, and bring to the attention of the IMO that you would like to um, to say to them.
3: Well, when we installed the scrubbers in uh, on our ships, uh, it was really a leap of faith in, in a way uh, in the technology and uh, also in uh, the belief that the re- regulations will come in two thousand and twenty. Uh, and. Uh, we also at the same time planned for, potentially, uh, the, the vessels to become LPG compliant, LPG as fuel uh, uh, um, uh, to have that ability in the future, which uh, we kind of installed in our vessels to, become, uh, um, uh, to, to have an LPG engine. Uh, it has come now that the, the LPG engine uh, it was just launched uh, earlier this month in uh, Copenhagen. And it is operational. It will be built sometime in um, 2019, beginning of 2020. And we will see that engine and many uh, uh, opportunities will become reality then of uh, turning uh, uh, ships, upgrading ships to LPG, which is an easier fuel to handle and um, uh, more plentiful, cheaper and um, easier to, uh, to bunker if you like, in, as there are many places in the world that uh, supply uh, LPG or can supply LPG in the future. Um, regarding IMO, um, we uh, we were breaking the ground regarding uh, LPG as fuel and doing hazard studies on our vessels. Uh, also on scrubbers, when we first arrived in the United States, uh, the Coast Guard was wanted to learn about this piece of equipment, wanted to understand it, see how it was working, and they would bring uh, a number of, uh, of their colleagues on board just to see how it works and how it operates so they could really uh, set up their own um, regulations and uh, compliance issues and um, to, to understand it a little bit better. So um, I, I think the industry needs a little bit of a head start in, in, in getting comfortable with these new technologies. This uh, changeover from one uh, day uh, from the 31st of December to the 1st of January 2020 uh, of everybody having to burn compliant fuel is a nightmare. Uh, It is impossible to have a clean tank uh, to take compliant fuel on that day and not be able to uh, and and be compliant as well. So there's going to be a a problem with suppliers, a problem with ship owners, a problem with uh, the producers. Uh, I I think it will cause quite a lot of uh, uh, frustration. And uh, um, so the the earlier we know, uh, the better. And I think the IMO is doing that work right now. They have uh, uh, an amendment to the Marple Annex 6, which they're working on. They are working on a a dedicated sampling point of uh, fuel oil for the ships. They are working on a ship implementation plan. And also, they are working with a lot of safety issues, like uh, uh, on the impact of fuels, uh, the the new fuels will have on the machinery systems uh, on board the ships, on verification issues, to be able to see that the ship has the correct fuel on board, uh, about the fuel oil non-valiability, low sulfur, that is. Uh, then the safety implications on on blended fuels and what would that cause. And this is a very serious uh, uh, event uh, where you have non-compliant fuel on board a ship and how you're going to debunker it or how you're going to be able to cope with it and then uh, additional guidance on what to do in instances like that. So I think the IMO has a lot of work to do. I don't think they're gonna have it all done by uh, 2020, or at least to give the maritime industry a chance to prepare for itself. Uh, So as a result, uh, uh, we're gonna have some um, um, uh, difficult times ahead to to, to, to get um, uh, everybody uh, 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 you know, kind of compliant with what's, what's going to happen in 2020. I think the, the most important thing I would say is that, okay, we, we, you can guide what the maritime industry should do, but also we need the oil industry to provide compliant fuel, and that's a very important part, uh, to be able to find the right fuel that is compliant according to, and we do not have even the specs of uh, the half a percent fuel Um, These things need to be accelerated so the industry knows what fuel to produce and be ready to produce that fuel, which will be compliant, correctly blended, Mm -hmm. or with correct composition, not to affect engines and not to cause safety issues to the ships and then to the environment and to people. So I think there's a lot of work to be done still.
1: I mean, mean, it it is important to to, to flag that the IMO have done um, a lot of work um, on on the matter, on the issue, um, and listening to the discussions today that have been held, um, and, and obviously seeing what's going on in the press, there is an open forum, there is an open exchange of information between um, stakeholders in the industry, and, and that's obviously a very very positive um, thing and necessity to have uh, when it comes to uh, the, the, the the regulation um, side of things. Um, now, obviously. Uh, You gentlemen sitting here, uh, you are all compliant, wanting to be compliant owners and will um, strive to be um, compliant owners. Um, But in every regulatory regime, there's always a potential scope for cheating. Um, Quality owners such as yourselves would not think of engaging in such practices, but inevitably there will be a good number of others out there in the market that will try to do this. Um, So I think it would be very interesting to hear uh, the panel's views on where and how this cheating could take place, um, and in particular what the um, enforcement and regulator authorities um, could do to try and ensure a a, a level playing field as much as as possible. Magnus, what's your view on this? Um, I I think our view
2: is cheating will be very difficult. assuming the IMO carriage ban goes through as was mentioned on the previous panel which bans the actual carriage of heavy fuel if you don't have scrubber equipment fitted um, I think it will be virtually impossible to to cheat and not get caught if you're inspected um, uh, I think there are certain loopholes and you know there's something called a fuel non-availability report, or FONAR, which I think um, some claim might be used as a way of not complying by essentially claiming that you didn't have access to the right fuel at the time. Uh, I think uh, the various bodies involved have made it very clear that the FONAR is is not the get out of jail card when it comes to compliance. I mean, the IMO will keep a register of all incidents. and I think, if there are patterns that will be cracked down on, I think another factor which which I think every responsible owner would think about is um, charter parties are contracts, and these contracts um require that you're in compliance with the prevailing regulations, so I think just the reputational and commercial risk of not being in compliance and getting caught are. are are too big uh, for ship owners to to really take that risk. You can be blacklisted by charters. Um, I think you can be deemed out of class. So I I think there will probably be a transition period and there's probably going to be some uh, havoc, at least until the the non-carriage ban is is implemented. But longer term, we don't see cheating as as being a, a, a major factor. I I, I think we'll probably
0: see some cheating, Uh, not because people want to do it initially, but they can't afford not to. Uh, And I I tried to think of this: how would you cheat if you were to try to cheat? And you know, um, I know our scrubber capacity is so that if we run full speed on our vessels, uh, it can scrub away down to zero point one percent, but. Some other scrubber manufacturers, uh, and if you fit the scrubber on an older vessel which consumes say 100 uh, tons of fuel per day, and our vessel consumes 45 tons or so, um, I can not see how a uh, they would have to have a much, much bigger scrubber. But if you get the paper signed that I have the scrubber, I can use HFO fuel, and then you go full blast, it's not scrubbing enough. So you're not compliant. I think that's one way of, of cheating that hasn't really been talked about. Um, other than that, you know, for the tanker business, it's going to be very difficult to cheat because you, you need the vetting, you need to be you know approved by the charters. And if you're caught cheating there, well, then there's no more business for you. Um, so whether <laughs> ship owners want to risk this, I don't know. We'll see, but I'm, I'm sure there will be some cheating, unfortunately. <laughs>
1: I think what I'd like to do is that, as we're we're starting to come to the end of the session, um, is just to skip forward uh, a little bit um, and and move away from the sulphur cap um, and and look at the next regulatory phase that's potentially in the offing. So I mean, the the current focus um, is very much on on the sulphur cap and and compliance strategies and the issues that. That turn to those um, there will be an eventual resolution and a continuing resolution of all those uh, issues it's not going to be resolved with with one wave of a magic wand and there will be a developing evolving um resolution of, of issues that that, that, that that crop up from time to time um, but i think it'd be very interesting to um to get some insight as to you know what issues can shipping industry expect next in in in, in the in the next regulatory um, phase, and and how should owners be preparing for this? Magnus, sorry to um, jump on you again there, but would you uh, would you mind taking this one?
2: Sure. Um, I think the next wave is is probably going to be based on not sulfur specifically, but addressing other emissions, CO two emissions, and I think within the group that 2020 Volkers belong to we we were a a major player in the lng markets and i think we are convinced that lng longer term will play a major role um, in tackling these emissions Um, i think when you discuss this topic um, a lot of people will say well there's not enough infrastructure in terms of fuel we're in the camp where we think that will be built out uh, quicker than most people uh, seem to believe. I think we've already seen the liner industry moving towards LNG uh, as a fuel. Um, I looked at it earlier this week, and I was surprised, according to Clarkson's, I think 13% of the current order book across all ships is is dual fuel. So there seems to be a move in that direction, and I'm being sort of teased by by my boss, Mr. Treum, who says we are probably the last people who ordered scrubber-fitted vessels, because LNG is the future. I'm not sure if it's that uh, that simple, but I think we, we see LNG as coming as a, a fuel quicker than people thought, and we, we're less concerned with uh, the technical aspects of bunkering, having done uh, 100 ship-to-ship transfers up in Jamaica. We, we we see it as less complex than a lot of other people. Nicholas.
4: Well, in the on the first place, the IMO is quite clear about the works that um, it does with regards to regulation. I mean, it doesn't really pass regulation overnight. If anything, it takes anything between five to ten years to actually finalise regulation. So, anyone's welcome to go into the website, and it's very clear. And it goes; it spans all the way from noise pollution that's been going on for I don't know ten years at least now. Um, Certainly, emissions is probably the next big thing that ship owners will have to contend with. Um, and I know you want to walk away from the sulfur conversation into the other areas. Now, the reason why it's difficult to do that is because most of the other um, regulations will be dealt, probably at the exhaust side, um, with regards to technology and the engine manufacturers, changes of fuels, The reason why this type of regulation has um, got so much attention is because it's um, a regulation that has got more than one avenue for solution. And the fact that the industry got itself in a stalemate where uh, it tried to debate the responsibility for the industry, is it the ship owner's responsibility, is it the charter's responsibility or the refining responsibility, I, I don't think any of those bodies see themselves as responsible for it. I think eventually in the world that we run is a matter of economics. And there is no doubt that if uh, ship owners did not install scrubbers whatsoever, you would still have molecules that are compliant, uh, sold at a certain price by uh, the refiners. Um, If ship owners all decide to put scrubbers, that price differential will will vary. But is that... uh, place where ship owners and refiners look at each other and say, what are you going to do about it, and what are you going to do about it, is what created this, this hiatus on, on the debate, where everyone's interested to see what, who's going to do it. And it's probably a mixture of both. There's no doubt it's a mixture of both. But the regulations that are coming up are probably going to affect more the way we, we emit. They're going to be more impactful. They're probably going to be debated less in, in forums like this one.
1: Nicholas, thank you very much. Um, gentlemen, thank you. I think that's, uh, that's it for now. We have unfortunately uh, run out of time on this session. Um, I would like to invite you, the audience, to join with me uh, to thanking our panelists uh, who have given such uh, insights and interesting answers today. Gentlemen, thank you very much.